All right, good evening. Great to see all of you here. We continue our church history series tonight, and uh, it's going to be exciting. We get to talk about a really special man tonight who loved the Lord Jesus Christ. But there was another man who was known for his amazing ability to escape. He was born in Hungary in 1874, and his name was Eric Weiss. Eric Weiss later moved to Appleton, Wisconsin. He grew up there. When he was age nine, he, his, his people noticed he had incredible ability uh, to do acrobatics and to pick locks. What a combination, acrobatics and pick locks. So he joined the traveling circus, and he began uh, specializing in escape acts, and he would do all kinds of things. They would put him in a straitjacket and hang him upside down, way up in the air, and somehow he would get out of the straitjacket. They would put him in a, in a, in a, a chest and, and, and throw him in the water or put him in a tank, and, and somehow he would get out of there. Uh, he was amazing at, esca- amazing at escaping. And uh, in fact, one time they put him in the ground and put about six feet of dirt on top of him, and somehow he got out of there. This guy was incredible. And so he was, he was known as, a, as a, a brilliant escape artist. And tonight we want to talk about a man who wanted to escape, not from a straitjacket, but from a life of sin, but he could not do it in his own strength. And his name was Augustine. Sometimes you'll hear people say, Augustine, it really just depends on who your teacher was. The, the professor I had said Augustine, so that's what I say. Uh, but uh, we're talking about the same person. But he was a man who lived in the 4th and 5th centuries A.D., and um, I, want to, I want to just talk to you about his life, kind of give you a, a biographical sketch of his life, and then toward the end, I'll talk more about his theological contribution that he made to the church in the West and really to the whole church. You really can't talk about the early church without talking about Augustine, and I think some of the things we learn about him, you're going to go, oh, I think I've heard that before. seems like... Martin Luther or John Calvin talked about him. That's because they were reading Augustine. He was very influential. And so if you know the background with Augustine's life, and then you'll understand the Protestant reformers better when we get to them. So Augustine was born on November the 13th, 354 AD, to Patricius and Monica. Now, Patricius, his dad, was not a believer. He was a pagan at the time. His mother, Monica, was a very devout follower of Jesus Christ. And they were born, he was born in a town called Tagaste in modern-day Algeria, North Africa. And uh, they had a lower middle-class family. We believe he had one brother, possibly two sisters, so uh, not a, a terribly large family. But uh, Patricius was uh, somewhat poor, and um, uh, it was, Tagaste was an agricultural area, had about a few thousand people. It was kind of a hard rural area with disadvantaged people, uh, but the one way out of that type of world was to receive a classical education, and so uh, Augustine's parents were committed to that. So they sacrificed, and they began. Uh, he began training in classical education. Now, the typical route people would take, uh, but if they learned rhetoric, would they be a lawyer or they'd be in some type of civil service? And so that's the track that Augustine began going down. But then um, his his uh, parents ran out of money, and so he had to. He was he was at a town nearby town called Madeira, going to school. He had to come home and help take care of his family. His dad passed away, and so that changed things. But thankfully, there was a local benefactor in the town that said, "Hey, 
uh, I see uh, he must have seen potential in him. He said, hey, I want to send you to Carthage to go to school. And so Augustine went to Carthage where he would continue his education. Now, he did not um, become a Christian until his adult years, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But he, he was exposed to Christian teaching all of his youth because he had a godly mom. But he felt the pull of the world, just like all of us have, especially in his adolescent years. And when he was 17 years old, he began living with a woman. She was of a lower class in society, and so she was known as a concubine. So he did not officially marry her, but they were living together. And they had a child, and they named him Adiodatus, which means given by God. So he's living with a woman. He has a child with her. And um, he, Augustine, at this point in his life, is just all about increasing in his knowledge. He's studying all the time. He wants to be a university professor. He uh, was familiar, obviously, with the Christian scriptures, but they didn't impress him. He thought, you know, they, just, they're not as sophisticated as some of this ancient Roman Greek literature that I'm reading. So I'm not very impressed with the scripture, with the, the, the Christian Bible. And so... Um, so the goal of Augustine's education was to be an expert in the spoken word. He wanted to learn how to argue with eloquence. And so he began, so he was studying rhetoric. And um, he began, uh, he would eventually become a, a professor, as we said, in modern-day uh, university in Carthage from 376 to 383, and then in Rome from 383 to 384. Uh, he, re- he enjoyed reading Cicero and uh, was very impacted by him. But as Augustine began searching for truth, he didn't find it in Christianity, at least at first. And so he became familiar with a group called the Manichees. The Manichees, they formed a religious group known as Manichaeism. Manichaeism, it was named after a Babylon teacher named Mani from the 3rd century A.D. Mani's religious beliefs incorporated some Buddhist thought with some radical Gnosticism idea that Pastor talked to us a number of weeks ago. And uh, you, they combined those, and you had Manichaeism. It had a very low view of the Christian Bible. It was very critical of the Old Testament in particular. And so, uh, in, in fact, Manny at one time, the founder of this religion, said he was an apostle of Jesus Christ, but he said he received some particular truth that was more significant. So he had kind of moved on. He was, he, was, he was beyond Christianity in his mind. Now, Manichaeism... Uh, I don't honestly know a whole lot about it. I can tell you what I, what I studied. Um, they believed there was an ongoing battle between light and darkness in the universe. And the kingdom of light had been invaded by the kingdom of darkness. And so in every human being, there's light that is spiritual and there's darkness, which is matter. So in order to be saved, that you have to be freed from the darkness that is a part of you, that, that is your matter, your, uh, which I'm assuming is your body. So religious teachers like Buddha... The Hebrew prophets and Jesus, according to Manichaeism, they were sent to free the souls of light from the captivity of their bodies. And so through a process of knowledge, you know, if you just learn the right things, the soul can be awakened to its divine origins. Now, doesn't that just inspire you? Yes. And so Manny's teaching spread quickly across Persia, Syria, Palestine, Egypt, Africa, and it was just, it was all over the place. And it was, had really become a force in the Roman world. And um, most Manichees were known as hearers. That was a lower level of Manichees. And if you, uh, if you did really well in this life, they believed in reincarnation. You would come back in the next life and you'd be the upper level. And so uh, Augustine was considered the lower level. He was, he was, um, he was 
in Manichaeism for about nine years. And um, he, was, he was considered the low, lower level uh, called a hearer. But over time, Augustine grew unsatisfied with Manichaeism. He felt like it didn't really answer the hard questions that he had. Uh, he was, began growing skeptical, uncertain of, of where to go to search for truth. So about this time, he moved to Milan in Italy in 384. He had a very prestigious job. He was the, uh, the chair of rhetoric there. And uh, it, off- it offered probably the possibility of being involved in the government later in his life. And so, boy, he had great prospects from a career perspective. Yet he had this inner turmoil. He, he couldn't find peace in his life. And we all know that only comes through Christ. But he was, his mom had encouraged him, hey, look, son, why don't you get married? Why don't you leave this relationship with this woman? So, so Augustine decided to. He decided to leave that and to focus on his career. So he's, he was burdened about that. And so at this point in Milan, it's a real critical uh, era of his life. There were two key factors that brought him to faith in Christ. One was what he read, and the other was what he heard. And what he read, he began reading some writings of the Neoplatonists. Neoplatonism was a philosophy that had religious undertones. It taught that through study, discipline, and mystical meditation, one could reach the source of all being in the universe. Now, this is interesting. Concerning evil, Neoplatonism taught that evil exists because one looks away from this source in the universe, and, um, and that's how evil um, occurs. So it, doesn't, it didn't originate with this one source, but it happens when you look away from this source. That was a big deal for Augustine because he grappled with the problem of evil. You know, if, if God is a good God, how could he create evil? And so this Neoplatonism assured him that no, no, the evil doesn't come from that one being. It comes when you look away from the one being. You, you with me? So this was, this was really helpful as he was processing um, uh, truth. And so next, uh, so those were some things he read that helped him to think, okay, no, wait a minute, maybe there is a supreme being, and maybe he's really good. Maybe he's not the creator of evil. And then the second thing, there was a local bishop. There was a preacher there in Milan named Ambrose. Ambrose faithfully preached the word of God. And Ambrose was a scholar. He was a, he was a, a very educated man, upper-class education in Rome. And so naturally, because Augustine was educated as well, he had respect for Ambrose and so Augustine would go just to hear him preach. Um, Ambrose was very eloquent, and so Augustine was just curious, and he would just go just to listen to the man preach. And, uh, but over time, uh, Augustine began to be fascinated with the way that he was teaching the Bible, and so he began paying a really close attention. Um, Ambrose would use these Neoplatonist images in his sermons, and Augustine had been reading the Neoplatonists. And so that began connecting with him. Think, okay, maybe there's, maybe there's something to this. And so um, uh, Augusta really liked the way that, that Ambrose taught from the Old Testament because the Manichees had been very critical of the Old Testament. So as Ambrose taught more and more, he began thinking, well, maybe this is true. Maybe everything I studied before was a lie. And so Ambrose assured Augusta, and he said, hey, it's perfectly normal for humans to pursue truth since they were created in the image of God who is the source of truth. So all these factors now begin to draw Augustine to Christ. Finally, there was a, a breaking point. Augustine was sitting in a friend's garden in August of 386, and um, he had been on this quest for truth. He was searching. He was tired physically, mentally, 
And when he, while he's in the garden, he felt, he heard the voice of, as of a child saying, take, read. So he picked up the, the word of God and just kind of flippantly turned the Bible open. He looked down and he was in Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, and he read verses 13 and 14, which says this, let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now he read those verses. Remember, he, he had a past, okay? He had been living with a woman. He'd struggled with these sexual desires. All this was in his past, and he read that and, th- and said, okay, the only way I'm going to find true fulfillment is to put on Jesus Christ. I've tried to find it in the world. I've tried to find it by gratifying these desires that I have, but the only way I'm going to be satisfied is to put on Jesus Christ. And so it was at that moment he surrendered to Jesus Christ. And that we view that as his salvation moment. He wrote this. He wrote an autobiography a number of years later. It's called The Confessions. And when he was 43 years old, and this is what he said. Uh, you've, 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 I'm sure you've heard this. You have made us for yourself, Augustine says, talking about God. Confessions is really a book. It's, it's, a, it's a book of really a prayer to God. He says, you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it finds re- its rest in you. And you guys know that you're saved. You know that. You know, man, there's, there is no rest for the heart until you find it in Jesus Christ. And Augustine could, Augustine could say he was 32 when he got saved. He could, see, he could see that. He had lived that. And he knew now that he could only find rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he was baptized that next year in Easter of 387 along with his son. And um, uh, Augustine looked back on those years in Milan, and this is what he said. Uh, you see the joy of, of a Christian here. He said, The days were not, not long enough as I meditated and found wonderful delight in meditating upon the depth of your design. For the salvation of the human race. I wept at the beauty of your hymns and canticles and was powerfully moved at the sweet sound of your church's singing. Those sounds flowed into my ears and the truth streamed into my heart so that my feeling of devotion overflowed and the tears ran from my eyes and I was happy in them. That's a guy that got saved. That was a radical conversion. And uh, so following his conversion, now Augustine's thinking, well, what do I do with my life now? You know, God has saved me. I've been this big-time professor, and, you know, he's, he's on a path for, to be involved in the, in the government. And so he's at a country estate, and he's talking with some of his friends. His, his mom is there. His son is there. His brother. And they're talking about philosophical issues and, and kind of contemplating the next step. And he, he just thought to himself, I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. You know, he thought, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be sold out. I'm, going to, I'm just going to go all in. I'm going to be wholeheartedly committed to Christ. And so in his mind, that meant leaving his career, walking away from this prestigious chair of rhetoric in Milan and going and doing something else. But he didn't want to be a pastor. He didn't, he didn't feel like that was, that was what God was calling him to do. He, just want, he had observed in Ambrose, the preacher I told you about, Ambrose had a real simplistic lifestyle. And Augustine felt like, you know what, that's what I want to do. I want to just leave all of this worldly stuff that I've got going. I want to go back to North Africa. I want to get together with some of my friends. I want to pray. I want to fast, and I want to serve other people. And that's what he did. But it took a little while for him to get there. He, he uh, made plans to go back to North Africa, 
But then there were some civil war issues going on in Rome at that time. And so he was, they closed the harbor. So he was stuck outside of Rome for about a year. And during that time, his mom passed away. So that was, that was a hard moment for him. Uh, then, then a number of months later, he was able to, to go back to North Africa and begin this monastic community that he had desired to do. And while he was still in Italy, he, began, he was reading about Eastern monasticism. And he was convinced. He said, well, this, this is my next step. That, that's what I'm passionate about. And so he goes back to North Africa, and he had inherited property from his family. He sold that. He gave some away. And then he invested the rest of it in starting this monastic community. So he could just study, pray, fast, and serve other people. And so he began studying the Word of God hard, especially the epistles of Paul during those years. And he began writing on theological matters that we'll talk about in just a little bit. Uh, during this time, his reputation was growing. He would soon find out that there were some other people who had another plan for his life. And uh, I think this, is, this next part is so interesting. In 391, he took a trip to modern-day Algeria. And this, this was so significant that it would just change, really, the direction of his life. So he goes to visit someone in the town of Hippo. Hippo was an old community, uh, over 1,000 years old at that time. And he, wanted, he was visiting someone who was interested. Augusta wanted him to come back and be a part of his monastic community. And so he, while he's there, he goes to church, and there's a bishop named Valerius who's there. Valerius is preaching. Now, this is in the service. This is what Valerius says. Valerius looks out, and he sees Augustine. And he must have, must have known about his reputation. And so, so in his sermon, the bishop says this. He says, you know, God always sends shepherds for the flock, and then he says, you know, congregation, why don't we pray for God's goddess in case there's someone here who's going to be the next shepherd of this flock? Isn't that interesting? Just, hey, let's just pray right now. that man, there, I just think there's somebody here who's going to be the next pastor of this church. That, that's, that's what they did. And so Augustine was very uncomfortable with this because he didn't even want to be a pastor. He just was there to talk to this guy and to go back home. And so uh, the church agreed and was like, yep, yep, this is the man. And so they ended up ordaining him to be a priest, and he had no desire to do that. But he went along with it, and so for four years, he served alongside this man named Bishop Valerius. And then Bishop Valerius was beginning to think, hey, there's another church is going to come and steal this guy. And so hey, they made him co-bishop. And then a short time after that, Valerius died, and Augustine became the Bishop of Hippo. Isn't that interesting? He had no desire, no plan. No, not, none of that. He just showed up, and next thing you know, he's Bishop of Hippo. So uh, Augustine, at this point, began giving serious thought and effort into the implication of, of the Bible. Um, he, pre he was preaching. He was building a reputation as a good communicator. But he was also began to really care about the souls of people because he was a pastor now. And he began talking with people and ministering to people and seeing the needs that they had. And so um, he began to write, at, write, not just as a theologian, but as a pastor. And so um, a number of years later, 35 years later, after he arrived in Hippo, he looked back and, and he wrote. And I'm trying to give you just a flavor of some things that he wrote because he's, he's such an interesting guy. And this is what he says. He says, I whom you see with God's grace as your bishop. So he's talking to his church in Hippo. I came as a young man to this city, as many of you know. I was looking for a place to set up a monastery, to live with my brethren. That's what we talked about. I had given up all hope in this world. And he approved that because he left his job. What I could have been, I wish not to be. 
nor did I seek to be what I am now. For I chose to be humble in the house of my God rather than to live in the tents of sinners. I kept apart from those who loved the world, but I did not think myself the equal of those who ruled over congregations. At the Lord's feast, I did not take up a higher position, but chose a lower and more retiring place. And it pleased the Lord to say, rise up. God exalts those who are humble. And that's what happened in the life of Augustine. The Lord just raised him up to serve in the church. And so now that Augustine's a pastor, he begins to write about different things. And so I want to just spend the rest of the time talking about some things that he wrote about, some one particular controversy he was involved in, and then I'll give you some application at the end. And so one of the things he wrote about early on was the freedom of the will. Now, you keep in mind, I'm, I'm communicating to you what Augustine wrote, okay? So you're going to hear some things. You're going to go, mm, no, I don't agree with that. And that's okay because we, we can learn from Augustine, and we don't always have to agree with everything. But I'm just going to present the way, the way he would have presented it. And so many of his first writings were in attempts to contest the teaching of the Manichaeans. Remember, he had been a Manichae for years, and he had led some of his friends to be a part of that movement. And so because of that, he thought, man, I, I've misled these people. Now I need to tell them the truth. And so he began writing um, for that purpose. And so the Manichaeans believed that everything was predetermined, that humanity did not have a free will. And Augustine said, no, 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 humanity does have a free will. And he said, when humans act freely, um, when they're not moved by an outside or an inner force, but just by the will itself, they just make a decision, humans have a free will. And so Augustine affirmed that certainly there are circumstances that affect your decision, but, um, but humanity has a free will. And so for Augustine, this was significant because it had direct connection with the problem of evil. He believed that there's only one God, and God is good. God is obviously not evil. So how then can evil exist? Well, he believed when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them a free will, and they willingly chose to disobey God. And so humanity does have a free will. And the result of that for Adam and Eve was a bad choice, and that bad choice produced sin, produced evil. And so the basis of evil resides in the bad decisions that are made by humans. And so... Um, in addition to free will, Augustine also wrote on the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is Trinitarian. He, he spent about 20 years writing on the Trinity. And, there, and uh, what he would do from 399 to 419, he would write on the Trinity. And really what he did was write in his free time. You know, he had a little bit of time. He'd just, he just sit down and write. And, um, you know, oftentimes it's easy to think, uh, you know, I mean, some people just produce books like crazy. But uh, it's easy to think, oh, I don't have time to write and um, but, you know, for someone like him, it, just, it was just a little bit when he had time, and it took 20 years. Um, you know, I've heard that um, Dr. Swindoll, I don't know if he still does it now, but years ago I heard that he would just take an hour in the morning and sit down and write. You know, he, you know he's, he's produced a lot of books, but you just think just an hour a day, seven hours a week, and over time that adds up, and maybe there's some days he could put more toward it, but over time you can, you can produce a lot. And so um, it's easy to think, well, I could never do something like that. But I bet you could. I bet you could. I bet you if you just put a little bit every day over time, it, it, it would add up. And so that's what Augustine did on the, on the Trinity. And so his work on the Trinity was the first massive volume on this subject in the Western world. And it's really viewed as the kind of the final voice of Western thought on the Trinity. It's interesting. 
that nowhere in his writings does he try to prove that God is Trinitarian. He simply just tries to understand and explain how God has revealed himself. And that's a word to all of us who teach the Bible. It's not our job to try to convince and explain away. Our job is just to interpret and we say, hey, this is how God has revealed himself. And then people either choose to receive it or they, they choose not to receive it. Uh, but the pressure is not on us. Our, pre- our job is to study, prepare, and just present God as he's revealed himself. And so that's what he did when he was teaching on the Trinity. He said that there was a divine unity that existed within the Trinity. That's really that's part of what he's known for in his writing on the Trinity. Uh, prior to him, theologians such as Tertullian, Origen, and Athanasius had all taught that the Son and the Spirit were, spirit were inferior to the Father. And they were all God, but there's God the Father, God the Son, and, and the Holy Spirit. And, and, and um, Augustine said, no, they're, they're, there's, a, there's a relationship and they're all equal. They're, 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 they're all significant. And one of his quotes, he said, there is so great an equality in that trinity that not only the Father, not only the Father is not greater than the Son as regards divinity, but neither are the Father and the Son together greater than the Holy Spirit. Each, are, each one is God, but, um, but they exist as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're all divine at the same time, eternal, but are related to each other in a particular way. And so he used this relationship analogy. He said, the father is the father uh, because that is his relation to the son, naturally. The son is the son because of his relation to the father. Meanwhile, the spirit is a gift of the father's love to the son and the son's love for the father. And so he, he emphasized that. And then he looked at Genesis one twenty seven. And he said there's, uh, he saw implications of the Trinity in the way man was created by God. He looked in um, Genesis 1.27 where it says God created male and female in his own image. And so he said, you know, God's Trinitarian nature is visible in every human being. He said there's a, there's a Latin word which is, is called vetigia or um, vestiges or vetigia, and it's called footprints. So he's saying God's footprint is on every single human. God's footprint is on the, the human psychology. And so he said the first one is memory. Memory is the place of self-awareness and the, the center of subconsciousness and human behavior. There's memory, then there's understanding, which reflects the divine reason, reason that God has. And then there's the will. So you have memory, understanding, and the will. The will is that which desires and achieves the intention of memory and understanding. So he says you can even look at the human psychology between memory, understanding, and will and see that God is Trinitarian. And um, so uh, he also, um, this was Augustus' most original input on Trinitarian doctrine. And um, he also believed that the, the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father and the Son and not just the Father. That was something that he was known for. And later, I'm sure we'll talk about this down the road some, later the Eastern and Western church would divide um, for one reason on that particular issue. The Eastern church said, no, the Holy Spirit only comes from the Father. And the Western church said, no, the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And uh, in 1054, they would go their separate ways. So you have the Eastern church. After that point, you have the Western church. Part of it was political as well, but theologically that was the issue that divided the Eastern Western, and Western church in 1054. Now, in, um, from, the, from 412 on, Augustine gave himself to opposing a movement we have come to know as Pelagianism. Pelagianism. This was the most famous controversy that he was involved in, and it was named after a British or Irish monk named Pelagius. 
Pelagius lived from 350 to 425 A.D. Pelagius um, uh, arrived in Rome, we think, about the 380s, and he was uh, well-versed in classical literature, highly educated. Uh, he was known for promoting holiness. And so as he, as he walked about in Rome, he just saw these Christians that were just fascinated with the world and weren't committed to holiness. And so it bothered him. And he began um, talking and saying, man, we've, we, need to be, we need to be pursuing God. We need to have holiness. And, and I'm just not seeing that. And so he was shocked at what he saw. So he began pressing for moral reform. And so those in, who were wealthy and famous and rich, and they also valued conservatism, man, they really liked what he was saying. And so Pelagius became rather uh, well-known because of that. And so uh, his, his grew, views were growing in popularity. And Pelagius's verse was Matthew 5.48. He said, you know, Jesus says, you know, you're to be perfect. My heavenly Father is perfect. So every Christian should be perfect. And, um, and, and he, he thought that was actually possible for a Christian to achieve, uh, achieve perfection on earth. And so, so Pelagius was familiar with Augustine, and he read in, in Augustine's Confessions where Augustine said, Give what you command and command what you will. That Augustine was praying that to God. And Pelagius read that, and he thought, you know, that, that just doesn't seem right. It just seems like you're a divine puppet and that you, just, you don't have to make any effort. So Pelagius had a very high view of human nature. And he, he, had, he said humanity has the capacity to do virtuous things. And so uh, when Rome was invaded, Pelagius, along with a bunch of other people, became refugees. So they left Rome, and Pelagius was on his way to Jerusalem, and um, he stopped by Hippo to see Augustine. And Augustine was not there at the time, but uh, Pelagius left one of his buddies there named Celestius. And Celestius began just going around town and talking about the, the, promoting the views that Pelagius had. Now, the key verse for Pelagius, it was... Um, Romans 5.12, which um, Romans 5.12 says this. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, talking about Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, for Pelagius, he, he would read that and say, No, this does not mean that we inherit a sinful nature from our parents. That's, that's not what that means in, in his view. In, in, in his view, he said, no, humans become sinners because they just follow someone else's bad example. In other words, uh, there was no original sin. What we know is the doctrine of original sin. That was not true for Pelagius. He thought, well, you know, you just see somebody else sin, and then you make a bad decision, and now you're a sinner. You're not, you're not born uh, as a sinner. You willfully choose to imitate Adam, and that's how you become a sinner. Or you're influenced by this negative environment that you're in. So it's really, you know, you see, it's somebody else's fault. You know, you're, you're not born as a, you don't have a, a problem. It's just you just made a bad choice. That was, that, that was his view. And so a newborn baby does not have a sin nature in, in, in his view. So any person can avoid sin if they will just pay attention to the law and the gospel, keep their eyes on Jesus, you can keep from sinning. That's what Pelagius would say. So uh, Augustine heard of these views in 412 and immediately responded, began publishing tracts arguing against his views, even though he treated Pelagius with great respect. But Augustine argued that the law, to my, the word of God, the law advocates 
especially the Old Testament, what is morally correct, but only the Spirit of God can enable people to obey the law, Augustine said. The human will does not always have its way because the power of sin is such that it takes control of the human will. The sinner can do nothing but continue to sin, is what is, is, was Augustine's position. The, still, the sinner still has freedom of the will, as we said earlier, but his or her choices will always fall under the category of sin. Augustine believed that the entire human race fell into sin when Adam fell. So before the fall, humanity was here. For Augustine's view, after the fall, humanity is way down here. Still created in the image of God, but because of sin, now there's separation between God and man. For Pelagius, before sin, humanity's here. After sin, humanity's still here. Okay? It's, there's a, a, a huge difference between the two. And so um, Adam, uh, Augustine affirmed that humanity was, in an, and humanity was in an entirely different place. And so humanity's born as sinners for Augustine incapable of doing of redeeming themselves and it's only by the grace of God that that anyone is saved for Augustine um, it, this I'll encourage you uh, Augustine referred to humanity as a mass of perdition a mass of perdition that deserved the wrath of God that was utterly dependent upon God for salvation so because of his belief in original sin he proposed that infants must be baptized see I told you there's some things you're going to hear you're going to say wait a minute So he proposed that infants must be baptized. And the reason is because, in his view, baptism removed the guilt of original sin. Okay, he said, well, if if that baby will just be baptized, then the original sin, the guilt of that will be removed. So that babies that die without receiving baptism are assigned to a state of judgment, in his view, although it's a milder judgment than the judgment that an adult sinner would have to endure. So following baptism, humans are still in constantly need of God's grace and God's forgiveness. So just because a baby was baptized did not mean that it would be saved. Um, God had to give the gift of perseverance. And when God gave the gift of perseverance, which he only did to the elect, they would be eternally saved. And so Augustine said that the gift of perseverance was the greatest gift of God's gifts to the individual. Now, the ramifications of this doctrine of original sin are are many for Augustine. First, if God were to allow any any human to go to hell, he would be completely just and fair in doing so because all are sinners. Second, in God's mercy, he elects some people to inherit eternal life. He says that complaining against God's election of some individuals and some that are not elected, in his mind, proves that we do not understand the weightiness of humanity's guilt in the original sin. Some people are elected for salvation, some are passed over and left to their fate. The basis for God's choice of some and not others is a mystery. Now, early in his career, he said that, no, God had foreknowledge that this person would place their faith in Christ. And so he said because of that, that, that that's how he understood election. But as he moved on and, and, and kept reading and kept studying, he said, no, it's, it's just a mystery. We don't understand why God, God just decides to choose, and, and he passes over some uh, because it's not based on merit, and that's how he would explain it. And so um, uh, he said, if God has elected someone, then that person will be saved. That grace is irresistible. That means they, they, that person will come to faith in Christ. Now, um, the teaching of Pelagius 
was officially condemned by Pope Zosimus in 418 at Carthage. And so uh, the Pope sent out a circular letter condemning both Pelagius and Celestius. So there's one final work I want to mention of Augustine. You've uh, probably heard of it, or I mean, some of you probably read it. It's called The City of God. He began in 412 and finished in 426. So you see, it took him 20 years to write on the Trinity, 14 years in the city of God. And so uh, the city of God was his philosophy of history and defense of Christianity. Inspiration to write this book stemmed from the fall of Rome in 410 to the Goths. There were still many alive during this time who were pagans, and they believed that that Rome fell because it abandoned its pagan roots and it turned to Christianity. And so uh, they blamed the Christians for Rome's destruction, really. And so Augustine wrote the city of God in response to those allegations. And he said, look, the the worship of pagan gods had not given Rome any type of strength or virtue at any time in its past. For too long, Rome had failed to promote justice and righteousness, and they had oppressed people. And so Rome's downfall, according to Augustine, was because of God's judgment on those particular evils. And so Augustine said there's two cities, there's two social orders that are built. Each one is built on a foundation of love. One is built on a foundation of love for God. The other one is built on a love for self. One is is the Christian who loves God, and the other is the non-Christian who's just all about me. It's just all about self. The city of God is built on God's love, whereas the earthly city is built on love of self. So Cain and Abel both represented these two cities. And um, one sacrifice was acceptable to God, do you remember? And one sacrifice was not acceptable to God. So you have the two different cities there. So the city of the world for Augustine does not represent any particular city like Rome or Babylon, but the worldly society in which the love of self dominates. It's just all about me. What, what can I do for me? How can I satisfy me? And so in the history of humanity, these two cities, city of, of God and the city of self, they are just intertwined with each other, and, and that's how they just coexist, um, although they're opposed to each other. So only, but at the end of history, only the city of God will remain. And so for the time being, uh, human history is filled with many kingdoms and nations that are all built on love of self, which are expressions of the earthly city. So no matter how powerful, no matter how influential these earthly kingdoms are at the end of time, they're going to pass away, they're going to decline then the city of God will remain upright. And so those who are in the city of God are the elect, the chosen that God chose for salvation. And so as, as Augustine thought about Rome, he said, hey, God allowed it to flourish for a season of time just so that the gospel could, could be propagated and sent out from there. And you've had your chance, and now God is removing Rome as, as a platform for the gospel. And so... Um, Augustine was one of the great leaders of the Western church. He spent his last day studying God's word in his library and concentrated his reading on the historical books of the Old Testament particularly. He stayed active mentally, physically, and uh, in August 430 A.D., he fell ill with a sudden fever. He was in his 70s. He died and was buried on August 28, 430. Uh, Yet his legacy continued throughout the coming years. This is interesting. No theologian was quoted more during the Middle Ages than Augustine. He was read, he was quoted more than any other theologian. And uh, some of his teachings, particularly on election or predestination or even original sin, that, that sounds familiar to you. That's because the Protestant reformers were reading him. 
and they would and they were heavily influenced by him. And so, uh, all right. So let me give you just a few application points here tonight, and um, and we'll be done. First, making sacrifices for our children is worth it. Making sacrifices for our children is worth it. You see a guy here who benefited from his parents making sacrifices. Lower middle class family who sacrificed to give him just a, a quality education, even though he was not a believer at the time. Um, but, but God used those abilities later in his life, and he would redeem that. And so um, I don't have to tell you that because you're, many of you are in that generation. You've already done that. You've, you say, hey, I've been there, done that. I've, I've done that. But it's also a good reminder. You know, Proverbs 13, 22, the first part says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So just the idea of, man, I'm going to sacrifice so someone else can benefit. And um, I was, when, I was, when I was thinking about uh, Augustine going to school, when, I, when it came time for me to go to first grade, <clears throat> my mother had been teaching in the public school system in Mississippi for 10 years. And um, she could have easily have had a career, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> a career in the public school system for, and probably would have made a whole lot more money, probably would have had retirement, all the things that come along with that. But when I got ready to go into first grade, she decided to walk away from that. And she went and taught at a little private school so I could go to school there. And so I could receive, and uh, they must have thought, hey, this is the best we can do, and we're going we're to sacrifice. And, and by the way, she's still teaching at that same school all these years later, and uh, she's been teaching over 40 years, and so she was my elementary music teacher from first through fifth grade. I had her every single year, which was a blessing and a curse. Now, it was a blessing, but I did learn you get in trouble at school, you get in trouble at home because there's no way that it goes hidden, but I'm glad that they sacrificed, and I, I sent my mom a text this morning. I just said, you know, thank you. I'm so grateful. You know, so I'm so grateful for you and dad and your sacrifice, and um, just gave me a love for education that, um, that I'm just so grateful for. The second thing is remain patient and fervent in prayer for your unbelieving friends and family. Remain patient and fervent in prayer for your unbelieving friends and family. I wonder how many times Augustine's mom prayed for him. You know, we'll never know. But, uh, I mean, 32 years old, he finally got saved. Even though his mom had been a believer, he had been exposed to Christian truth he had been prayed over a number of times. It just didn't, it wasn't his time until he was an adult and he had to figure it out for himself. And so keep, keep stay being fervent in prayer for that neighbor, for that, that family member. They think, man, they're never going to come to Christ. I've been praying 20 years, 30 years for this person. Just stay fervent in prayer and remain patient. And um, you never know when, when it's going to be that moment. Maybe the person you think is least likely to become a Christian is, is, is he, he or she might be the very next person. Uh, third, be willing to obey God even though his plan is not something you had planned. Be willing to obey God even though his plan uh, is, something, is not something you had planned. So uh, Augustine didn't want to be a bishop. He had no interest in being a priest. He was, he was, he was focused on a career and then he was focused on being uh, just an ascetic. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read and study and pray and serve other people. Um, but I just wonder if there's something you sense God might be doing in your heart that you think, man, I had no plans for that. But for some reason, you can't quit thinking about it. And maybe, maybe there's something God's doing in your heart that you need to surrender and say, oh, okay, God, 
this isn't what I planned, but you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to surrender. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust you, even though, I don't, even though I don't want to. I'm just going gonna, gonna to surrender to you. Fourth, be willing to speak up even when you feel inadequate. Be willing to speak up even when you feel inadequate. You know, Augustine had a weakness. He was not very good in Greek. Now, he spoke Latin. That's probably the only, only language he ever spoke. But he was not very good in Greek. And so he couldn't interact with the New Testament was written in, in common Greek. But he couldn't, he couldn't interact with Greek scholarship sources. He couldn't do it. And so he even reached out to Jerome, who had translated, translated the, the New Testament into Latin, called the Vulgate. And he said, hey, will you send me some Greek, some commentaries on the Bible and translations of Greek commentaries? And, but those commentaries never arrived. And people in his congregation wanted it. And, um, you know, but uh, before long, Augustine just started speaking up. And before long, his congregation said, we don't need that Greek stuff. We want to listen to you. And so, uh, you know, and he just, started, he just started speaking up and ministering to them. And this is what he said as he looked back later on. He said, I must confess personally, I have learned many things I never knew before just by writing. You know, I just, I just tried. I just, I, just, I just started, sat down and just started doing it. And so um, even though he was inadequate, God still used him. And I just wonder if there's some of us who think, you know, I'd really like to share the gospel, but I just don't think I know enough. And my friend, if you're saved, you know enough. If you're saved, you can be a witness. You can be a witness. The Holy Spirit can use you, and you can at least tell what God's done in your life. You can at least give your testimony. All of us can do that if you're a Christian. And finally, the last half of your life can be the most impactful one for the kingdom. The last half of your life can be the most impactful one for the kingdom. Augustine wasted the first 30-plus years of his life, but boy, those, that, those middle-aged years and the last years of his life, he was on fire for God. And so uh, some of you, you may have wasted that first part as well, or you think, well, I was a Christian, but I wasn't really living for him the way I should have. Hey, today's a new day. You can start now. You can finish strong, and, uh, and, we, and I want to do that with you. Well, Eric Wise was indeed uh, a great a great escape artist. Uh, in fact, he launched his professional career as a magician in 1894, and he renamed himself Harry Houdini. Houdini had talked about how strong his abdomen muscles were, and he, he, he kind of bragged about that, apparently. And he said, you know, they're so strong, they can withstand a punch of any force. And so a college student asked him one day, he said, hey, is that really true? And he said, well, yeah. He said, so you wouldn't mind if I hit you? And he was like, no. And, but before, the, before Houdini was ready, the guy punched him a couple of times. And, and Houdini was not prepared, was a little taken off, off guard. He was in severe pain afterwards, and his appendix had ruptured. And um, several days later, on October the 31st, 1926, 92 years ago today, Harry Houdini passed away at age 52 in Detroit, Michigan. Houdini could not escape death, even though he was an escape artist, but neither could Augustine even though he died in his 70s. Augustine, though, was ready for death but he, because he had put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What about you? Have you put on the Lord Jesus Christ? I hope, I hope that you'll be ready when that day comes as well. So let me pray for us, and then if you have any thoughts or questions, we can, we can talk about it.